for the remainder of our time then. Let us return to Matthew chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 2 to 4. I'm not going to reread the text, but we shall be referring to this incident here, the healing of the leper from verses 2 to 4. Arguably, friends, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 record the greatest sermon that was ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, the people there were astonished at his doctrine, we are told at the end of chapter 7. And verse 29, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. And not as the scribes. Excuse me. And then, following the greatest sermon, we have a, a number of miracles performed by the Lord Jesus Christ. The leper, of course, the healing of the centurion's servant, Peter's mother-in-law being healed. And verse 16 tells us, When the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word and healed all that were sick. So this chapter only includes some of the miracles that were performed by the Lord Jesus Christ. We have here also in this chapter the time when he calmed the storm, when he was in the back of the boat and a storm rose up and the disciples were afraid for their lives, experienced fishermen. They were in danger of losing their lives and therefore they cried to the Lord Jesus Christ, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? And then he went and calmed the wind and the sea. And then ultimately, secondly, lastly, he <clears throat> healed the gathering demoniac. So the Lord Jesus Christ, by his miracles, was obviously dealing with individuals, and the individuals themselves concerned were greatly blessed by these miracles that were performed by the Son of God. But as you know, friends, these miracles were signs. Yes, the people themselves who were the recipients of these miracles, their lives changed wonderfully, gloriously. They were transformed in a moment. But we are to look beyond just the physical deliverance and the physical activity, and we are to see that these signs are teaching us something about the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And these signs and many others were confirmation that he was truly the Son of God and that he was the one who has come down from heaven with all the full authority of heaven. He was the Messiah, the one that, that the, the Jews looked for and longed for and prayed for. He was the one who came in their midst. And as you know, 
John chapter 1 tells us that he came unto his own, and his own received him not, despite the overwhelming evidence that he was the Son of God. Well, as we look at this first miracle in chapter 8 this evening, we want to look at the transformation that came upon the leper, and we want to glean some lessons for ourselves, because it's the Word of God. It's quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, and it's relevant for us tonight here as we're in Stornoway. It may well be, and I'm sure it is, that we are familiar with this incident. But, oh, we do pray that the Lord might lead us and guide us and help us, and that our ears might be open and our hearts might be open to receive the Word of God. I want to give a title to the sermon this evening. It is quite simply touched by Christ. Touched by Christ. Because this is one of the unique features of this miracle, as we hope to draw out this evening. Well, there are four things, four headings that I would like to highlight with you for your edification this evening. Well, the first is we have the predicament of the leper. We have the predicament of the leper. Away back in biblical times, if you had leprosy, you had an incurable disease. We're not so sure if that's the case today, but that was certainly the case 2,000 years ago. If you had leprosy, it was like what people might have today when they have terminal cancer. It's incurable. And so it was for the leper. And because of that, he would be a social outcast. We know that this incident is also recorded for us in other Gospels. We have it in Mark's Gospel and Luke's Gospel, and we can draw from their recording of it in, in order that we might have a, a broader and a wider picture of the event. And Luke tells us that this man was full of leprosy. Leprosy is something that happens internally first within the individual, and he doesn't know anything about it until the disease began, begins to manifest itself on the extremities. It becomes obvious on his body. And by the time that that happens, friends, there is no hope for an individual, no hope whatsoever. Only God can cure a leper. And we are told in Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 5, verse 20, that this poor man here was full of leprosy. How long had he got to go? We cannot tell. But he was declining, and he was declining fast. He was someone who had a, a walking death sentence. He would have been banned and excluded from the public worship of God. He had to go around, and when he came in contact with any individual, he would have to declare unclean, unclean, so that people would avoid him, that they would not contract his leprosy. And he would live with other lepers. He would be separate even from his wife and family. He couldn't live an, a normal life. He lived like a social outcast. 
away from the means of grace, never found in the synagogue or the temple like others. No, not for him, because he was one who was full of leprosy. And to add insult into injury, the common theological point of view when they would look at a leper was, you must be a great sinner. God is punishing you because of your sins. That would be the mentality of the scribes and the Pharisees. You don't get leprosy unless you're a great sinner. God is visiting you because of your sins, and therefore you're getting what you deserve. So there would be no sympathy for him whatsoever. None whatsoever. This was his predicament. A poor, lost individual, a walking death sentence, waiting for that day when he would succumb to this terrible disease that was uncurable to man. What has that got to do with us this evening, you may well ask. And indeed, you should ask. This is something that you should ask. Well, what's the point? So what? This is 2,000 years ago. What does the Word of God teach us from this incident? Well, surely, friends, it reminds us about the terrible disease that every one of us has by nature, and it's called sin. It's called sin. Oh, we may well have heard of it. But do we realize? Do we realize that this is something that we have, something that we inherited from our parents, and something they inherited from their parents, and we can go right back to Adam himself? Adam was created pure and holy and righteous. But you know the story. I hardly need to relate it. He fell. And from that moment that he fell, what happened? He changed. His nature changed. He became a sinner, and he was guilty before God. And because of his sin, he lost that wonderful, glorious relationship that he had with his Creator. There was a great gulf, a great barrier between God and man that very day that Adam sinned. And we've inherited his guilt. We've inherited this sin and this dreadful disease. Now this disease we cannot handle ourselves. This disease is too strong. We say this reverently. But sin is the most powerful thing in the world next to God himself. We cannot deal with it. Man cannot deal with it. Man does try to deal with it. Man sees the problems that sin brings, and it tries to address the problem, but it will not go to the root cause of the problem. And one of the ways that mankind seeks to deal with this problem is that it devises so many religions. Man knows that he's estranged and separated from God. Man knows that he hasn't got the relationship that he should have with God. And what does he do? He tries to reconcile himself to God. He tries his efforts. He wants to climb up to God by his own ways and his own schemes and his own devices. And of course, we know it cannot work. It never will. But friends, there is, there is a way. God has devised a way. This is marvelous when you think on it. 
Are we not the ones who have offended God by our behavior? We sin in word, in thought, and in action daily. And God, if he was to treat us according to strict justice, he could destroy us. He could destroy the whole of mankind. But instead, he has provided a way. God has taken the initiative. God has seen us lost. God has seen mankind perishing. God has seen us going towards a lost eternity without hope in this world. And he's done something about it. And you know what he's done. He sent forth his son, uh, Jesus Christ the Lord, to deal with our greatest problem. And that's what Jesus did. He took a human nature to himself. He came just like a sin only accepted. Lived in this world. Faced all kinds of temptations extreme temptations. And this is difficult for us to actually comprehend. The Son of God, God in the flesh, yes, he was tempted, but he did not succumb. And he lived a perfect life. And when the time came according to God's decree and plan for the salvation of mankind, he offered up himself that once for all perfect sacrifice on Calvary's tree. Yes, we know it was wicked people that put Christ on the cross. We know the religious leaders were envious of him and they could not stand him because he revealed their hypocrisy and they handed him over to Pilate demanding that he be crucified. And these men will, will stand and give account for what they've done. But nevertheless, it was all ultimately God's plan and purpose. In order that we could come together here on the 5th of the November 2023, and we could declare this gospel to mankind that there's a way to be reconciled to God. There's a way for your sin to be dealt with. And that way is through the cross. It's through what Jesus Christ has done on Calvary's tree. You see, friends, this poor man here had a terrible disease, but we have it also. Not leprosy, but worse than leprosy. Leprosy will bring about a physical death, but sin left to itself will bring about a physical death, a spiritual death, and woe betide us, an eternal death. What is eternal death? Eternal death is to be separated from the gracious presence of God forever and forever in that place that we don't like to mention, but we must. What is it? It's hell. Where there is no remission, where there is no relief, where there is no escape, this is not something that would terrify us when we consider these things. Would it not be possible for us to endure a thousand years in hell? Could we not say to ourselves, well, I could endure that a thousand years in hell because at the end I know I will come out. 
But there's no hope, friends. There's no hope whatsoever. Eternal death is eternal separation from God. You know, the Bible tells us that the righteous shall be in heaven forever and forever and forever. And those who know not the Savior, they shall be in hell forever and forever. Oh, does that not cause you to shake? Does that not cause you to run to the Lord Jesus Christ? Does that not cause you to come to him, to consider him, the one who suffered the pains of hell on Calvary's tree on behalf of sinners? We have this disease. The whole of mankind has it. From young to old, it matters not. Educated or uneducated. Male, female. It doesn't matter our nationality. The whole world has been affected by it. There's a verse in Isaiah which is apt and appropriate to quote here because it outlines our true plight by nature. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse 6. From the sole of the foot, even unto the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. Here the prophet is using pictorial language to describe the state of the sinner from the head to the foot. We're full of sin. That's it, friends. Oh, it's not pleasant. You'll not fill the churches of God with this message today, but, oh, we need to tell it. We need to be clear on it. We need to be clear upon the doctrine of sin. What a terrible thing it is to sin before Almighty God. Don't we see the great contrast that is between a holy God how does the Bible describe him? Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil and canst not look upon iniquity. That's the God that you have to deal with. That's the one you'll face, face to one day. And we are nothing but skin full of sins. Oh, that doesn't describe me. Oh, yes, it does. It does. What does Jeremiah say? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? You don't know your own heart. You don't know your own sinful nature. Oh, you might have some kind of comprehension of it, but you don't fully know it. Even as a Christian, you don't fully know it. But God knows it. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great upon the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Does that just apply to those who perished at the flood? No, friends, that's bang up to date. That describes your heart, your life today, this evening, even in the house of God. We're not what we should be. We have a disease and it's called sin. And this poor man here is an illustration of it. It's a spiritual illustration. And if we're not in Christ, we're like walking dead. That's what the Bible says. Does the Bible not describe us? 
as ones who are dead in trespasses and sins. Oh, you might have all your faculties. Oh, you might be young and fit. You might have a good brain. But you're nothing but a skinful of sin. And you cannot deal with it. Another has to deal with it. Well, that's his predicament. Secondly, let us notice the humility of the leper. The humility of the le leper. Christ came down after preaching a glorious and wonderful sermon. And you could, you could hear the talk in the background. Wow, wasn't that something else? We don't hear the scribes and the Pharisees speak like this man. See how he opened up the commandments. See how he applied the commandments to us. Oh, I felt convicted there. Surely this man knows something. We must follow this man. We must listen to this man. But what does the leper do? What are we told? Verse 2, and behold, and behold, here's a leper. He doesn't talk about the sermon. No, he goes straight to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is that so? He went there because he recognized his need. The others had their curiosity gratified with the sermon. But the leper recognized he had a dreadful need and he couldn't deal with it himself, but he believed Jesus Christ could. And therefore we're told, behold, there came a leper and worshipped him. Others were talking, oh, they're having a great time, but the leper was single-minded. Why? Because he had a terrible disease. And this is why you're not converted tonight. This is why you're still smug in your sins. You don't recognize your terrible plight. You don't recognize the horrors of eternity, of dying in your sins. What a terrible thing it is to die in your sins. There's no hope. It doesn't matter what the clergyman will say at your funeral. It doesn't matter the good things that you've done. It doesn't matter. All of these things are of non-value whatsoever. You need to close in with Christ. You must have him as your Lord and Savior. You must have personal dealings with him and with him alone. You don't need to worry about going to the session, friends. No. You must go to King Jesus. And when you go to King Jesus, you'll not be concerned about going to the session. When you have dealings with him, when your sins are forgiven, when that load is dropped from your back, when the conscience is clear, when you have a peaceful conscience and you know that your sins are forgiven, oh, there's life in you. Oh, you'll jump for joy. Yes, Christians jump for joy. And who should jump for joy but the Christian? Who has this glorious hope before him but the Christian? Well, this poor man here, with all the crowd, he comes and he worships. He humbles himself. As I said, we're going to look at the incident in other gospel writers. And we find here in Mark, chapter 1, verse 40, the same leper. 
what do we find him? He's kneeling down to him. He's kneeling down to the Savior. Oh, you might think there's nothing special in that. And in one sense, there is nothing special in it. But you know, leprosy affects the joints. This man would have been in pain. Here he was on the dry, dusty ground. He had his face to the ground, Luke tells us. He fell on his face. He was on his knees. There he was before the Savior. This was no light matter for him. He wasn't fit. He hadn't got all his faculties. He couldn't move about like an athlete. Yet he humbled himself before the Savior. What a lesson here for us all, friends. What a lesson. What a humbling thing it is to come before the Lord Jesus Christ. As Christians, we should be proud of our Savior. But we should not be proud in ourselves. Because when you become a Christian and when you go to the Lord Jesus Christ, you are holding your hands up and you're saying, I'm a sinner. I'm a hell-deserving sinner. And we can adopt the words of the Apostle Paul, the chief of sinners. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. There's no space for pride. Our pride is to be crucified. And this is something that we will battle with moment by moment. Pride is part of our fallen human nature. We all have it. There are no exceptions. Some it manifests itself more than others, but none escape. But a poor sinner, when he feels the weight of his sins, like this man here felt the weight of his disease, then your pride is crucified. And you'll never come to Christ until you come to this realization that Christ must save and Christ alone, and I must go to him. I must have personal dealings with him. And therefore, it requires humility. God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. No one else could help. That's the way for the sinner. The church cannot help. Religion cannot help. Only Christ. Have you gone to him? This is the thing. This is the matter. Have you called upon him? Thirdly, we have the faith of the leper. Notice what he says there in verse 2. Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. We've heard these words on many occasions. I'm sure we could quote them verbatim. Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. Notice here, he never doubted the power of the Lord Jesus. Never doubted it. 
He was one who had faith in the power of the Lord Jesus. Lord, if thou wilt, you can do this. This is no problem to you. I may be wasting away. I have no hope as far as the world is concerned. But you have the power to heal me. You have the power to restore me. You have this power. He was convinced of it. In that sense, he had no unbelief. But what does he say? Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. He was coming before the Savior. He was prepared to accept the will of God. You can do it. All you've got to do is will it. He wasn't sure about the will of God. He knew that Jesus had the power, but he didn't know if Jesus was willing. What does Jesus say? He put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will. You can just imagine this scene. This man on death's door. And hear the Savior saying, I am willing. I am willing to save you. I'm willing to transform your life. I am willing. Now, friends, we apply this spiritually to ourselves here tonight because there are people here, I'm sure, whether they're in the building or whether they're listening online, they know the Lord Jesus Christ has the power. They believe that Jesus Christ performed all these miracles and many more. And they don't doubt the power of the Lord Jesus. But what they doubt is whether Jesus is willing. Will Jesus receive me? Will Jesus accept me? They know their lives, or at least they know a part of their lives. Most of their lives they don't know, and they don't know their sins. But they know there's things in their lives, and they wonder, is it a stumbling block? Would Jesus accept me with all the things that I've done? Friends, you are to hear this tonight. That Jesus is willing to deceive sinners. Even the chief of sinners. And none of us is to stay back. We are to cast ourselves upon Jesus Christ because he's a great Savior and he will save great sinners. And you're no exception. Christ is willing. Never doubt it. In fact, we can say he is more willing to save than you are to come to him. He is more willing. Well, notice then, friends, that Jesus did something that no other person would do. We are told, Jesus put forth his hand and touched him. He was a leper. No one would touch a leper. The scribes and the Pharisees, they would run from him. His family would have nothing to do with him. They would leave food out for him. And he would go and collect it, but they would stand back. No one would touch him. Jesus touched him. Again, friends, there's a spiritual lesson here for us. 
look past the physical. Jesus is willing. He's willing to receive. He would wish that men and women and boys and girls would come to him. And he wasn't healed by the touch. He was healed by the will of Jesus. Jesus didn't need to touch him. But he did. He again was expressing his oneness with him, if we can say that, and his desire to embrace him. He didn't need to touch him. He just said, I will. Be thou clean. What are we meant to derive from this? I tell you, friends, what we're meant to derive from this is we're meant to see the compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, this is something that we must impress upon everyone when we come to the pulpit. Yes, we know the Lord Jesus Christ is great and mighty. We know that he goes forth like a conqueror to conquer. We know that he is the, the lion of the tribe of Judah. We know that he shall make his enemies his footstool. We know all these things and we believe all these things. But Jesus Christ is compassionate. And if we fail to pass this on, if we fail in our preaching to give to our people this evidence that Jesus Christ is compassionate, he's the one who wept over Jerusalem. When Jerusalem said, crucify him, crucify him, we have no king but Caesar. Christ was the one who wept for them. And never ever doubt that Christ in his exalted glorified state has not changed. We need to be more like him. We need to convey this attribute of Christ. Yes, he will destroy his enemies. Yes, friends, on that day of judgment, if you're outside of Christ, there'll be no mercy. That's true. But this is the day of grace. This is the time of God's favor. This is when the gospel is to be proclaimed to you. And you're to know that Christ is compassionate, merciful. As he was here, he could easily have dismissed this person. There would have been plenty of lepers around, but no. This one who knelt before him, he was transformed and changed. He got his new life. What a transformation. Can you imagine that man when he got up in the morning? Can you imagine what it was like? What kind of life was he facing? What kind of day was it? It was going to be a day when he would be begging again. But oh, he encountered Jesus Christ and his life was transformed. He was healed from that moment and a new life was his. That's the way it is with Christ. Lives are transformed and Jesus is still in the work and the business of transforming lives. Again, Mark tells us this. Jesus was moved 
with compassion. Moved with compassion. How many people are moved with envy? How many people are moved with malice? How many people are moved with jealousy? Christ moved with compassion. Hebrews tells us in chapter 4, verse 14, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He knows what it's like. He's lived upon this world. He knows what it's like. He knows he's been tempted to a far greater extent than any one of us has been tempted. He's able to sympathize with us, with young people, with old people, with men and with women, with sinners who are struggling with their sins. He's able to sympathize. He has compassion. And friends, when we leave this building tonight in the will of God, we must take this thought with us. It must be uppermost in our minds that our Savior is compassionate and he is merciful and he has demonstrated it here and on many, many other occasions. Let us never doubt. This man was touched by Christ by his compassion and his mercy. Briefly, fourthly, the new life of the leper. What would happen or what should have happened after he was healed? Jesus tells him, verse 4, show thyself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. That's what he should have done. When he would go to the priest, the priest would look at him and the priest would declare that he was clean and therefore he would be able to join society again. But the other gospel records tells us that he went about and he spread abroad what had happened. The man couldn't keep his mouth shut. And in some sense, we sympathize with him. We don't approve of what he did. He should have gone to the priest first, but he was overjoyed. He was full of love towards the Savior and gratitude. This man's life had been transformed and changed. It had been given back to him. He was a new man. There's a lesson for us all here. This man couldn't keep his mouth shut when he should have. Very often the Christian keeps his mouth shut when he should open it. And if Christ has done a work in you, you are to declare it. You are to show your allegiance to Christ. The Bible does note Secret disciples. Joseph of Arimathea was a secret disciple for a period. And so was Nicodemus for a period. But the time came when they couldn't hide under the covers. They had to nail their colors to the mast. 
They had to see whose they were and whom they served. And so it is with the Christian. If we're Christ, oh, it doesn't mean to say we've got to broadcast it in the street or whatever. We're not talking about that. But when time and opportunity are given to us in providence, we are to testify what Christ has done for us. And we are to give him the glory that's due to his great name. This man was touched by Christ. And the Christian, the real Christian, in a spiritual sense, he has been touched by Christ also. Christ has made him clean, made him fit for heaven. He's justified by faith. And all the blessings of the gospel belong unto him through what Jesus Christ has done. Where do we stand then this evening? As we draw our time to a close, where do we stand? Do we know anything of this loathsome disease called sin? Well, we should do. And we should come to Christ to have it dealt with here and now. Seek him. Call upon him. You'll find that he's merciful, compassionate, and gracious, and willing to receive. Amen. And may God bless his word. Let us pray together. Oh Lord, we... We love to meditate upon what Christ has done. And, O oh Lord, we pray that he might be in our thoughts and in our words and in our life. And, O oh Lord, we pray that we would have opportunities to be able to speak clearly and sincerely of what Christ has done for us, the Savior of sinners. Bless thy word. Bless our meditation. Be with us now as we conclude. For Christ's sake. Amen.